Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 66 of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. I'm also the founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute, Family Counseling and Recovery in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with any of life's challenges, please reach out to us. I know we can help. You can find more information about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. And don't forget, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast. We'll come up, click join, and I'm definitely growing that group and working to have it as a resource for people who want more information about addiction or have questions about addiction that they can come to and get support and find out all the alternatives out there for people to deal with addiction and addiction issues. So check it out, Facebook, the Addicted Mind podcast. Also, if you are enjoying The Addicted Mind, I remind you, please go to iTunes and rate and review us. It really does help get us up in the rankings on iTunes and gets this podcast more exposure. So I really appreciate it. And all the people out there have done it so far. Thank you. It's great to hear that people are listening and enjoying what I'm creating here. So thank you. All right. On to today's episode. My guest today is Tim Sitt, and we are going to talk about Virginia Satir and self connection. Now, I met Tim through a mutual colleague of mine, Sharon Lotion. She introduced us because we are both interested in the work of Virginia Satir, and Sharon Lotion has created the enriching program that is based on all of Virginia Satir's work. Now, Virginia Satir was a systems therapist a while ago, and her method of working with people really resonates with me. It comes from a place of positivity, 
It comes from a place of connection that you have the resources within you to create the changes you want to make in your life. And I really love her work, Virginia Satir's work, also Sharon Lotion's work as well. So she introduced me to Tim and we were talking a lot about it. And I said, I think, you know, you have to come on to the podcast and talk about this. And I invited him on as a guest and he agreed. So we have a conversation about uh, what that work means, what it means to have uh, self-connection in a compassionate and loving way. And I think this is something that if anyone out there any of us who are struggling with addiction, a lot of times when we start this journey of recovery, we start to, our relationship with ourself is not one that is very positive or very loving. We can tend to be judgmental of ourselves. We can tend to be really hard on ourselves. And so in recovery, developing this healthy relationship with yourself is so important. A relationship that stems from self-compassion kindness is so important in the recovery process because my belief is that addiction really thrives in that place of shame and guilt and regret and not from a place of love and kindness and forgiveness and compassion. So Tim and I talk about that a lot and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with him. I thought it was really, really rich and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it as well. So let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Tim Zitt, and he is going to be talking about Virginia Satir's work. Tim, I'm excited to have you on the podcast and talk about Virginia Satir and her work and how that can help people who are struggling with addiction. This is also a very big passion of mine as well. So you want to introduce yourself? Sure. So my I'm in private practice and I work with individuals, couples, and families. And my practice is under the name the Freedom to Move group. And so movement and this idea of freedom, I think a lot of these ideas that have influenced me come from learning about Virginia Satir. And I first heard about her in grad school. So she was one of the first people to move away from the psychoanalytic model and to start working with families and to bring in the whole family group to work on things that were coming up that were problems, whether it be something as serious or uh, severe as schizophrenia or problematic behaviors in adolescence or whatever the issues were. And, let's kind of put yeah. this in uh, for people who are listening. Let's uh, talk a little bit about who Virginia Satir was, when this was going on, and mm-hmm. put it in that kind of context, because I think that's really important for people to, to know. Yeah. So she started in private practice herself. She was a social worker. And at the time, the main method of psychotherapy was psychoanalytic, which was individual therapy, maybe two or three times a week based on the Freudian model. And she... It's it's kind of that model, like, uh, so people understand like psychoanalytic. It's that model that maybe even that, uh, how would you kind of say it? That stereotypical model of the person on the couch Right. The other person sits behind them and the person just talks and talks and talks and talks. Yeah. That's, so that's it's like a very, yeah. So like sitting on the couch and maybe even facing away from the person. So they're right. lying on the couch. They might be free associating or doing dream interpretation. 
So um, it's, it's looking at the unconscious through a lot of verbal dialogue. So she was starting private practice in about, I think it was 1951. And like I said, she was starting to work with the entire family group because she found that when she was working with an individual, she would see a lot of progress. But then when that individual, especially if they were young and still living at home, if they were experiencing, for example, schizophrenic types of symptoms when they return back to their home, that they would sort of return to the state of distress that they were in before. And, and as she went through that, she would invite first the mom in and then there would be a lot of progress. And then she'd think, oh, you know, maybe there's some other people living in this family, like the dad and then other kids. And through this motive of inviting more and more people into the therapy room, she developed a practice that was both experiential so looking at the communication, looking at what the connections were or were not between people, how they were communicating, what kind of messages were getting through that may have been harmful to people's sense of themselves or their ability to um, share information and also experiential in that it's in the moment, it's here and now, rather than kind of getting lost in thoughts and cognition, uh, which can be a place of rumination and, and a trap for for some people. So... And this was actually, I think, for people to understand at the time, this was really cutting edge. This was really cutting edge. The people weren't doing this. This wasn't even kind of heard of, or it was starting to be heard of. Yeah, yeah. She was uh, very, I mean, even to this day, in terms of uh, my, I've been studying her work for 11 years since I was in grad school. And uh, the kinds of things that she would do, like asking family members to stand up and to sculpt the actual relational dynamics. So people, if they were maybe dominant in the relationship, they'd be standing up. If they were more submissive, they'd be sort of down on the ground. And just to feel what that's like, what, what is it like? So oftentimes when I'm working with parents, I'll ask a parent to just kind of stand up and do what they usually do. Like it's time for breakfast or it's time to leave the house. And then the kids like on the ground, you know, playing a video game or something. And just to feel what it's like to look up and to notice and to slow that down and to see the difference when they transition from that to actually seeing each other eye to eye. So a lot of what I really love about Virginia Satir's work is the, the humanity of it and the emphasis on trying to get to a place where people can really experience themselves and the other as equal, equal of value. They may have different roles, but to establish that each person has, has worth. So. Yeah. Right. So like bringing everybody, the whole system into the dynamic. Yeah. So I think in terms of, you know, what we were talking about just before we started about addictions, I think in in large part, certainly one of the pillars or one of the most painful things that happens for people that struggle with addictions is that their sense of connection or their sense of worth is so harmed and that they're living with this deep sense of shame that to relieve that pain, one of the ways is through some sort of addiction, you know, whatever the form of it may be. And so I think her way of working, of really connecting with people as human beings uh, with such dignity and respect and care and compassion uh, was something that really stood out. You know, a lot of therapy models focus on what's the technique, what's the magical thing that I'm going to do, the magical, there is even something called a magical question from solution focused, where the, the emphasis can be so much on technique that there's not as much of an awareness on how am I, how am I showing up to meet this person? And, and what am I perceiving? What am I connecting to in them that goes beyond the behavior that they're caught up in or the pattern that they're caught up in, 
whether that's a relational pattern or a substance abuse pattern. So I, I really love that way. So of, of working and of relating with people. So, right. yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that really attracted me to Virginia Sister's work too was not only like you said the dignity, like there's no hierarchy in the therapeutic process. Yeah. You come in as a human being, you experience it in the here and now. It's present. It's what's, it's what's happening. And the way she would work with that, that moment was just so powerful. Yeah, yeah. And I've been talking to a lot of people about this within people that study Virginia Satir's work. And they often use words like magic and turning the lights on. And there's such an abstraction that I really struggle with because it's important that whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm thinking is, is grounded in some kind of theoretical frame that can be explained but I think it's it's difficult to explain because it's we all have a self in us. We all, you know, there's life in us. Our heart is beating, we're breathing. And that's whatever's going on in our lives in terms of the experience or the coping, the negative coping, to be able to connect to that essential fact that I'm here, I'm here with you and I'm alive. And there's things that I yearn for. There's things that I really desire and need. And one of those things is often the heart of it is connection or feeling valued. And she emphasized that a lot. And she moved away from the typical mode that we're often caught up in, which is the hierarchical model. One person's the boss, one person has to listen. There's a dominant person, there's submission, there's right and wrong, and move towards what she called the seed model. And you know, when I listened to her talk, she would often talk using the phrase self-worth or self-esteem as a way of pointing at, you know, we need to work with people to elevate their sense of self-worth and self-esteem. And as I listened to her, I felt like there was a disconnect between the words self-esteem and self-worth because I understand it as a psychological term that has to do with how people feel and how they see themselves at a moment in time. And I think those things fluctuate. They go up and down, up and down, you know, depending on what's happening. And so I, I changed that language around to help me understand what she was talking about. And, and I use the phrase self-connection. Because I think that points to more the process of trying to be and return to a connection to yourself, the life, the worth, the values that are within, and not necessarily that I need to be attached to feeling a certain way. Like I need to feel happy about everything that's going on, or I need to not feel worried, or I need to, whatever, whatever is the, the experience that so often we want to run away from, that if I can understand that there's something inside of me, maybe there's love inside of me. There's love inside of me that I feel that I want to give, that I want to share. That's something essential to, to people that I think of as like the roots of self. And when we can connect to that, and I think that's the place that she would connect to in people, not necessarily the behavioral pattern of whether it's addiction or violence or whatever, however they're coping out in the world. But let's get to the roots of who you are, what's important to you, What's that energy that wants to come out? You know, because even in energies like, uh, or patterns like anxiety or depression, often if you dig down deep enough, there's some kind of way of thinking about that experience that points to, you know, I'm depressed and I'm burnt out of my job because I'm not happy. And, and feeling meaning and feeling fulfillment is somehow in the experience of that pain important to me. So if, if we can focus on that, rather than just trying to reduce the symptoms, then not only are you going to reduce the symptoms, you're going to put energy towards something positive and that can help be something really positive that you're growing rather than just trying to kill off negative symptoms. 
Right. I think, you know, when I think of Virginia Satir's work and I think of people who struggle with addiction, it's it's such a disconnection from the self, all the pain, maybe the trauma behind the addiction and then the trauma caused by the addiction itself. Yeah. That the yeah. person is disconnected from themselves. And what I love about Virginia Satir's work is, it, is what you're saying is it creates a safe space for you to connect mm-hmm. with yourself and bring back, yeah, just a sense of self-worth so that you can be there. You can be there with it, understand yourself, understand what's going on underneath, yeah. listen yeah. to your yearnings, and that it's, it's almost like it's okay to have all these different feelings. Yeah. You know, Dwayne, I've been thinking a lot recently about the importance and the power of forgiveness because when I do something, I mess up and I make a mistake, it's very easy to go from, oh, I made a mistake or I'm caught up in that pattern again and I'm hurting myself or I'm hurting other people and then to feel shame and then to have an inner dialogue of I'm no good. I'm nothing. Right. Right. I'm worth nothing. I'm garbage. I'm, and just to, to be so negative and and then when that pain comes, that's that self-talk, that inner dialogue starts to happen. And it's like, well, how do I deal? How do I cope with this pain? Because it's all, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in that. And I had this thought just the other day that, that popped into my head. It was thinking is thinging. So thinking is thinging. So T-H-I-N-G-I-N-G. The idea is sometimes our thinking can make something that's a process concrete. It can make right. something that's a process finished, a conclusion. So I made a mistake. It's over, right? I can't learn. From, like, there's no learning from this. There's no looking at it. Rather, I'm, no, I'm just no good. In that way, once there's a conclusion, then it can be a bridge into really self-destructive patterns. And, right. and I think one of the things that's been really instrumental in what I've learned and seen and, and been inspired by with Virginia Satir is, you know, she would often say the problem, is the, the problem isn't the problem. The problem is the coping with the problem, right? right. And another way of thinking about that is, you yourself are not the problem, right? Because if you, if you make that conclusion, it's like, well, there is no point because the conclusion is I can't change, I'm no good. But if it's the coping is based on things I've learned, things I've learned from my family of origin when I was growing up as a little kid and I have those patterns embedded in me, you know, traumas say that are in my body that were maybe pre-verbal and I haven't worked out ways to learn something new yet then if we can think about coping as a learning process, as life as a learning process, then I think there can be a lot of hope. And that's, that's I think, what's allowed me to, to stay in this field. Because if I didn't have that idea, then I wouldn't have hope. And you know, I would just be working with labels and categories and conclusions. So to move away from thinking as thinging and thinking of it as thinking is a creative, a creating process. It's an ongoing process right. of, of evolving of healing and then of growing. So these are all ideas that Virginia Satir has pointed out to me and, and I'm trying to work through in a way that makes sense to me. Right. And I, and I also love like doing that in the present moment, in the here and now with other people, you know, like in the present, in the present moment, it's happening in the room right here and right now. And this is where yeah. the healing is taking place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, from the perspective of a therapist, the, the, it's, it can't just be cognitive, right? So for example, you know, I could suggest as an exercise for people to try, you know, if you're really having a lot of negative feelings, you might try to listen for where you're putting I am, like your I am, just the fact of your existence in, right in front of some negative conclusions, like I am no good, or I am an alcoholic, right? These conclusions 
about who they are that then exclude the life that's also there. And, and I think reframing it as, okay, this is a problem that I'm trying to cope with. Then there's some other resources that, that you can connect to. But in terms of the relationship between a therapist and someone that they're working with to help, it's, there has to be a genuine presence and a real connection there through their eyes, through their voice and through whatever they're perceiving in the moment of that person that's alive in them. Not the things that are dead, which are the labels. The labels don't move. They're just right, words right. that can box people in. So, so even thinking about that, like to say, okay, I'm feeling, I'm feeling depressed. If I just think, am I making any conclusion about who I am? I am hopeless or I am no good. And then just see, okay, how can I return to a connection that I am a living process? I'm not finished. You know, I'm not a lifeless rock. And, and I'm, there's, well, even a rock is, is an ongoing process too, but there's life inside of me. There's blood and oxygen pumping through me. What is it? What is it that I need to connect to? That's not just these negative conclusions. So I think that's, that's been really helpful. And for me personally, as an individual, and then very, very powerful in terms of working with people. Definitely. I mean, I feel the same way. I love Virginia Satir's work on a very personal level. I mean, it, it has really helped me deal with all of my difficult feelings or shame or whatever it is as you go through it, because I think the process is so, you said self-connection, but also very self-compassionate, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like that self-connection through self-compassion. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think of it as the self, who, who we are essentially is full of so many resources that you, you, could, you could take forever to name because they're, you know, they're just, you're naming many different things like truthfulness or wisdom and compassion, what you're talking about, the, the resource of being able to make choices. The, mm-hmm. the self, the, those are things that are inside and right. awareness, right? I'm, I'm willing to look, I'm willing to feel. Those are powerful things that Everyone, they're universally inside everyone that's alive, you know, as long as their mind is functioning and they're able to feel, then they can connect to these different resources. So I think of compassion as of one of many parts that when you connect to the self, it's like, oh, now I have access to so many different resources that I'm not able to connect to when I've made a conclusion, a right. negative yeah. conclusion about who I am. So that, that, that's, okay, I'm stepping back into the process here with, with that kind of thing. Right. And I think, you know, for people out there who are, you know, listening to this podcast and maybe they're struggling with addiction, this model can really create a space for you to be compassionate, to connect to those resources that are inside of you. You can take out, you can make change and, and feel good about that. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, Virginia's work is one of the foundational bits is working through you know, what do you believe about yourself? You know, what, what, who you are as a person? What do, you, what do you believe about relationships, right? And how do you think change even happens or if it can happen, right? So right. When, if, if we can look at those beliefs, if I believe that a relationship is always someone dominating somebody else, then if I want to be connected to someone, I have to give something up. I have to give up some, some self-dignity or my own autonomy, right? Or if I feel like I'm always have to be dominant and I have to always maybe be correcting someone or telling someone what they're doing wrong. And then I, there's, a, there's a sense of loss there too, because in that experience, I think 
most people on some level are experiencing, oh yeah, they're getting hurt by that. But well, some parents teach that way. They think I really have to correct everything I see and, and make sure that I'm being a good parent. But I think Virginia, she was, um, she was a principal, she was a teacher and she was a principal before she became a therapist. And so she thought a lot about education. And I think she thought of herself as an educator in her process of doing therapy. And I, th- I think of the kind of education she provided as experiential. It's not just the head, but it's the whole body, the whole body learning something. And with attachment theory, I think that's been very informative to understanding her work because what are we learning in those first few years? We're learning to what it feels like to be touched, to be made contact with, to be loved, to attune, and to have our needs met, to build trust. There's so many different things. And I think the, the quality of that and the, the physicality of that, she really embodied well. Right. And I, I think, you know, when you describe all those things, for a lot of people who struggle with addiction, those weren't present in their yeah. early years. So a lot of times we become vulnerable to addiction when we didn't have all of those things you're talking about, connection, you know, healthy connection, feeling secure, people that can be compassionate about our experience, accepting of our experience, and actually support us through the process of managing that, our experience. And so I think Virginia Satir's model in a way creates that. And she was really, she had that intuitively within her, I think, to be able to do that. Yeah. But like what learning from her and watching her in a way we create that nurturing environment in the here and now, in the present. Yeah. Yeah. That of itself is healing. Yeah. I was talking to someone uh, recently and she, she described Virginia Satir as like Mother Earth, like the right. great mother, like this archetypal idea. And I think she embodied a lot of that. You know, I think she had an inherent nurturing. She was the eldest of six kids as well and took on a very maternal role. And I think that that nurturing space is obviously so important, especially in those first few years of life, because it's, it's where we learn how to take care of our emotions, to even look at them, right? So if, if I'm experiencing distress because I'm overwhelmed by emotions, if I haven't learned to connect with myself or to connect with others to take care of those feelings, then I have to, I have to turn to some kind of way to right. cope with those feelings, which may be alcohol or drugs as a way to self-soothe Right. And to feel something good. And, and then to feel something good, if I'm also, if I'm identified with the experience, then it's only, if, it, if I feel bad, then it must mean I'm, I am bad. So if I feel good, then maybe it means, means that I'm okay. Right. And you share this work on your own podcast. You share a lot of stuff about Virginia Satir. Where can people find that? So they can find it at uh, the website, thefreedomtomovegroup.com. And there's a podcast link there. And yeah, I've done an introduction and we talk about things like we explore what is support. So we explore relationally and just within yourself, what, what does it mean to give support between people and what are the various roles when you're receiving it and, and when, you're, when you're giving it. And we looked at congruence. When we look at different concepts within Virginia Satir's work. So it's, a, it's definitely a good resource from which to learn about her work. Yeah, and I think, you know, this kind of work when you're when you're getting in recovery and you're really looking to enrich your life, this model I think can really help someone out there who's struggling 
to work through all that stuff, you know, to find that self-compassion, create those positive feelings and experiences, learning how to connect with others. Yeah, I really love it. Yeah. So if anybody, I guess, if anybody's out there and they're struggling in their life right now, maybe they're struggling with an addiction, maybe they're just struggling with depression or anxiety, what would you want to tell them about? Yeah, what would you want to say to them? I guess I would encourage them to to think about what is their relationship to themselves and that that, that is a really important space to consider. I mean, to the extent that we have a positive relationship and a loving relationship with ourselves, then we can have a positive connection with others. And to create a space between what the experience or the coping is and who they are, and that's the space of compassion. And I think we all, we all have that. And I think when I first saw Virginia Satir, I think it's like, you know, right now, you know, the NBA, there's the finals and people are going crazy for, for sports. And I wonder, like, what is it that attracts people to looking at sporting events and performance? And I think it's when we see someone doing something in a very excellent way, we're attracted to that. And yeah. I think in Virginia, I saw someone that was nurturing and loving in a very genuine, congruent, clear way. And and I think it's it's a model of relating in the work she did as a therapist in terms of how we can relate to ourselves and that this idea that I am my role or I am my problems or I am my relationships. There's so many different attachments, which could be hooks that lead to traps or dead ends for people. But I think just looking at your relationship to yourself, to the, the life within you, the values and the yearnings and the the truest will that you have for your life can be a centering meditation and exercise to detach temporarily from all of the things that one could be attaching themselves to. And then, okay, if I'm attached to the idea that, well, I, I yearn for love and I want to give love, maybe that's more who I am than my addiction, my problems, my struggling marriage or whatever it is. And then to to use that energy as a way of, okay, now how can I use this energy to then cope? How can my love, how can my compassion, how can my strength inform the decisions I need to make or whether I reach out for help, right? If that can be the leader, those energies can lead and instruct and provide wisdom. Then it's a different, different orientation, a different direction than if everything's filtered through, through the negative experience. Yes, without a doubt. I, you know, I, I always say, you know, we, we, don't, we don't heal our addictions through shame. We, we heal our addictions through love, compassion, and understanding. And I think Virginia really personified that in her work and, um, and her legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Tim, I want to thank you for coming on. How can people, if they want to know more information about you or, or get more information about Virginia Satir, where can they go? How can they find out more information? Yeah, I think, I think the, the website I mentioned before, freedomtomovegroup.com, and there's links to the podcast, and you know, I have a blog there where I've done some writing, and I've written about self-connection, so people want to learn more about that. And yeah, that's probably... And they can find your podcast on uh, iTunes, right? That's right. Yeah, it's on iTunes and Spotify. So if you just uh, search self-connection with a hyphen between self and connection, you'll be able to find it on iTunes or Spotify as well. And uh, yeah, 
Awesome, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom with the Addicted Mind audience. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. You can find all the show notes at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 66. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, rate and review us in iTunes. I really appreciate it. And also join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast. We'll show up, click join and uh, be part of the Addicted Mind community. All right, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful day and I will catch you on the next episode. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.